we talk about music, music news, music stuff, and anything else that comes up. Hey Austin, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Talia? Good, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Oh. Thanks. Let's do this. Let's get into it. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how major labels use these kind of antiquated marketing techniques for new music or kind of... Yeah, they try to to apply it to like modern day... Right, yeah, using these old business models for modern day consumption. Right. And um, sometimes it works, sometimes not so much. But uh, there's one in particular that we haven't gotten into, it's payola. Yeah, that's a word we don't use very often and really haven't heard in a long time. It's a dirty word. Dirty, dirty word. So we'll talk a little bit about what payola is, how it started... And then how these record companies are sort of tweaking that system to work in today's music. Um, So for those who don't know, payola is an illegal practice of payments set up by record companies for the broadcast of recordings on commercial radio. So in other words, major labels pay radio stations to get their music. Yeah, or the the DJs. Exactly. That's how it actually started to get their music played. DJs were actually the ones who picked what was on the radio. Yeah, they actually got to sit down and choose the music that they played, which is insane because that is not the case no, nowadays. No, not the case anymore. <laughs> um, and that, that's actually, payola is one of the reasons why right. the DJs can't do that because they were accepting bribes from record companies. Right, or from like artist management or whatever. Right, anyone that's representing this artist, or it could be the artist themselves. Yeah, yeah now there, there is a way to do it legally, right? Yeah. So like if I... If I pay a radio station to play my song, and they say, this next song was brought to you by... Dot, dot, dot. Right. Yeah, they can do that. But here's the thing. They like paying for it, but they don't like to say that they're paying for it. Right. So they don't want it to sound like an advertisement. Plus, when they pay for it, it can't get counted as a play. As a play, yeah. yeah. They can't actually record that. So well, this, um, all, this all goes way back to, I mean, like really the beginning of pop radio right yeah well even into that like it it started becoming very popular in the mid 50s when rock and roll started coming about um but if you really dig deep they started this in the 20s and 30s oh man yeah but it really came to light in uh the late 50s early 60s because they were actually beyond music they found out that they were rigging quiz shows so they would have um popular let's say contestants that would go on and Mm. if they liked them they would rig the game shows so that they would continually come back and get higher ratings oh man right so uh that started and then they started looking into music and radio thinking hey that might have something to do with it i'm sure someone tipped them off at some point right right? yeah so they formed this committee and they started looking into uh djs they actually brought in about 25 or more djs and questioned them um, and a lot of them admitted to it and they'll usually admit that they brought in probably twelve to twenty five thousand dollars right per record yeah just sit there you know it's not, it's not a bad side side income there no I mean I, I can't say that I wouldn't have taken that money right right I mean you're already in this position where you get to play this awesome music and pick it and hey I mean if you're gonna get paid to do it why not right then so two two of the main um, DJs that were that were brought into questioning, one was uh, DJ by the name of Alan Freed out of Cleveland, and he was the one who he got absolutely roasted for it. Right? He did. 
Now, he was really popular because he pretty much coined the term rock and roll. Like, he was known for playing a lot of the records that people weren't really aware of or afraid to, sort of, you know, yeah. took some chances and... Uh, in that boundary. Exactly. He got roasted, though, too, because he was very uncooperative. No. He was denying a lot of the charges and saying, yeah, no, probably not. You know? <laughs> um, and he got hit with... I mean, he was found guilty. He was, he was hit with a, a small fine and about six months suspension. But completely killed his career. Yeah. Like, he was donezo at that point. Right. And, I mean, that's all you do. Yeah, well, and I mean, it, especially if you're the person who's billing themselves as being, like, that cutting edge or who's going out and finding this music, but the reality is that someone's just paying you to put it on the air and shove it down people's throat. Right, they're going like, to... Yeah, your integrity is done. Yep, he was done at that point. He actually, five years later, passed away. He just drank himself to death. Broke. Yep. Yeah. Um, the the other guy in question was Dick Clark. Oh, good yeah. old Dick. Good old Dick. He uh, yeah, he survived. Didn't he, yeah. Didn't he get out of it with some kind of unsavory tactics? Didn't he sell his stake? He did. He got all of he got out of all of his stake in music. Sold it off. Was like, okay, I'll, I'll be done with the music industry. But he was fully cooperative. He also brought a statistician into the room to sort of hash that out. But yeah, I think like in the end. Numbers. Yeah, I break it down for him. So I think in the end, um, I don't know if he was plugged with them or not. Right. You know, but there's like, he's a good dude. A little ago. I mean, he was at least attempting to cooperate with them. Yeah. So I was really curious as I was looking into this, like, how did all of this come about? Besides, you know, them looking into quiz shows, like, why, why now? Like, why 19, well, then. Yeah. You know, why 1960? <laughs> <laughs> and, and why when rock and roll started emerging? Well, I think it was ASCAP that tipped him off. Ah. So ASCAP, which is American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, along with BMI, they're performing rights organizations. Yeah, so they're, they're the ones who get you your paper if somebody's playing your song. Exactly. So they take care of music publishing and rights. Yeah. ASCAP was like, hey, BMI, I think that... Uh, that they're using payola to ensure they get airplay for BMI artists because BMI artists was like, were like taken off. But at the time, the artists that were on BMI were um, black and Southern artists. And those were like the driving force behind rock and roll. Very true. Right? And they were like, hey, this dude, you know, this company over here is getting paid. We're not getting anything. Check it out. Right. Something shady is going on there. So they don't really know. There's a lot of speculation whether it was driven by race, money, could have been power. Could have been all of all it. All of it. Yeah. Right. Some people thought, hey, payola is good for smaller labels because they may not have all of the funds that, you know, the majors do. Right, for like but a if, major marketing campaign that they can They can pay. slip a few dollars to like, say, Alan or Dick. And right, yeah, somebody regional and get the popularity of their artists up there. Right. But they did put they, they put a lot of blame on stemming from rock and roll because that was when it was gaining popularity. And it was called, quote-unquote, race music. Right, well, too. and it was also, yeah, it was very dangerous music at the time. Right. Probably wasn't surprising that this illegal activity came along with this, you know, uh, style scary of style of music. Yeah, Yeah, it was funny. Everyone's like, this is uh, uh, the cause of juvenile delinquency right. and all the problems in the world is, like, stemming from rock and roll, which is pretty insane. So, after, 
you know, this this whole investigation and, and Alan is on his suspension. Uh, they start looking into it. They're like, listen, DJs, you are no longer, like we were saying earlier, responsible for programming. Yep, that's it. You get a playlist. Yep, we're going to provide it for you. They literally break it down. This is the moments for advertising. You know, we'll have you speak about this event. And, you know, you get, here are the five songs we're going to play this hour. Right. It's pretty much all they play anyways. Yeah. And they have program directors. Some even have music directors. If you think about that, it makes it a lot easier for record companies or independent record promoters to present payola to the companies. Because instead of having five to ten DJs at that station, they've got one person to one bribe. One person to go to. Well, and that's, that was the loophole that the record labels found in the uh, payola legislation was if I'm the record company promoting this song to a radio station, Mm -hmm. it's illegal for me to pay you. But if I hire someone whose job is an independent promoter or radio broker just to Strictly to promote the album, quote unquote, right? right? The album. And then they'll have a bunch of artists that they work with. Mm -hmm. And they pay the music director, the marketing director, whoever. Then it's totally okay. Then it's totally okay. And they were actually able to slip that through until 2007. In 2007, the FCC in Congress was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Gotta pump the brakes on this a little bit. That's not actually a loophole. It's not how this works. We need to bring it back. Well, I know it kind of sat quiet for a while because then, you know, this all happened in 1960. Yep. We didn't really hear anything about it. But in 1986, NBC News launched an investigation called The New Payola. Oh. And that's sort of what sparked all of this new investigations and, and litigations. Yeah. Like the one in 2005, right? Yeah. Yeah. In 2005, um, Elliot Spitzer, who was the state attorney general for New York at the time, mm-hmm. went in and... This was even before Congress and the FCC closed that loophole, um, figured out that there wasn't actually a loophole for this process of using these independent promoters or brokers. And he went against Sony, Warner, and Universal. So pretty much all of the majors, right? All the majors. um, Between 2005 and 2006, they each paid out between $5 and $12 million. um, And... What's actually really cool, so they settled this out of court because they didn't want it to be any bigger than it had to. Right. They knew that they were in the wrong. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't really hear much about this. Right. Spitzer actually had those, those sums go to New York State nonprofit organizations to fund like music education and music appreciation. And, That's really cool. And those cool. types of programs. Um, EMI is actually still under investigation in the state of New York. To this day, so they just haven't... Right, yeah. they, haven't, they haven't closed it. So, I mean, there's probably not much going on with it since it's been 10 years, but yeah. they were on the list. And that was actually right around the time that I heard about Paola. In, in 2005 at the Shortlist Awards, Bright Eyes, you know, one of my favorites. Yes, you love them. Um, Connor Oberst, the lead singer, like the member of Bright Eyes, threw a hissy fit in the middle of their set. Really? Um, railing against Clear Channel. And how um, Clear Channel, by owning radio stations and music venues and all of these different avenues, is creating a monopoly. And, um, you know, that Paola was a part of all of that. Um, And, you know, that was kind of as things started in New York. So in 2005 to 2007, this all came back pretty strong. 
And then, again, you know, settlements out of court, undisclosed sums. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was in college, so we're, we're talking my last couple of years, like 2004, 2005, I had classes on record promotion. So we would bring in record promoters. That's all they did. Right. So the dude came, comes to the class and he's on stage and he's like, hey, I'm that guy. Like, I know payola's <laughs> not a thing. And he's like, but I'm that dude. He's like, I don't really even like the music, but I don't care. Right. There's money involved. So they pay me. I go there and I cut them a check. Right. And they play what we have. Yeah. And it's not it, always, it's, it's not, not always, always money. Right. Yeah. You know, like sometimes they, they get it's really that, creative with it. Yeah. That the trip to Cancun that you can win if you're the 103rd caller or, you know, free tickets to a concert or they a do meet and greets. party bus. Yeah, meet and yeah. greets. All those kind of Anything weird. like sponsored by KISS, 109, whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anything like that. They, Especially those concerts that they put together that are like Summer Bash, blah, blah, yeah. blah, with all of the most quote-unquote popular artists right. that they have. So they'll say, hey, if, you know, we'll play this song for however many times within this period, but you're going to play, your artist is going to play at our festival for little to no money. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, they can give away like, okay, cool, play this song. We'll, um, 10 tickets on this cruise. Yep. And that's cool. Right. Yeah, and that's, um... Not cool. No, it's not cool <laughs> at all. And, and that's, I think, part of the reason that we've seen, especially within the last 10 years or so, so many small independent radio stations go under mm-hmm. and so many radio stations regardless of what their like genre banner is playing the same music um, they do and i don't find many that are are a specific genre right unless it's country yeah because country doesn't really it doesn't they, but they don't but really flow then, with pop yeah. and other music but even then a lot of modern country music that's popular yeah sounds it's poppy you know a lot of a lot of the style that you're going to hear and a lot of the i guess like the song structure and stuff like that is going to be very very similar across the board no matter what radio station you put on that's true um and when we talk about like you know you get into things that are very subjective like alternative or rock um that has now tends to encompass everything within top 40 yep um, you know, I remember a few years ago driving from you know, here to St. Louis and just having the radio station on one station. Yeah, one station the entire time where I should be traveling through mar- multiple markets, get a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. At no point did I notice the radio station change. Makes sense. Yeah. Because just it was same, the same stuff. stuff played, you know, and, and it's not a large swath, swath of the country. You know, I'm not traveling across country by any means still but. i doubt that it's going to change much. i mean <clears throat> when you get into larger markets then they have room and opportunity to break it into smaller genres like you go to chicago you've got two stations that play just hip-hop right a third like b96 that's going to mix it up with dance hip-hop pop right and yeah, so forth. you've got like things like uh q101 doing their like all request yeah format or whatever yeah um you know, but a lot of people lately, you know, in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. have turned away from radio stations. We all have Bluetooth or um, right. I mean, that, that's a big part of that too. No, um, 
so you know I think most people are, are just streaming their music and a lot of people you know we've applauded the the greatness of curated playlists and created playlists before it's where a lot of people are discovering new music that they would normally find on the radio right and I've always been super curious about because you and I have talked and we're like man wouldn't that be a dope job like I would love to curate playlists it would be like being a DJ exactly yeah and we should because we have great taste yeah but it it turns out that a lot of those old Paola type structures are getting applied to these curated lists or these lists that are created by the streaming services. That's crazy. Um, so Billboard, the end of last year, actually came out with an article. Billboard, of all places, right, came out with an article about this um, where they basically just straight up called it out. Um, they said, you know, playlists, because they have so many subscribers, because of these kind of constant, changing, evolving things... Um, are becoming super valuable currency within the music industry. And now record companies are actively promoting and paying for spots in those playlists. Really? Yeah. And, um, you know, we've got, and cited in that article, they throw shade at this company called Digmark, who's literally a digital playlist promotion company. That charges a record label or an artist $2,000 for a six-week campaign to major streaming services. So I wonder how they do that. They must just set up relationships with these streaming services and other outlets. Yeah, I'm not really sure how um, Digmark works with the streaming services, mm-hmm. but they have very close relationships with record labels. Um, Jay Frank, the guy who founded Digmark, is actually now a senior marketer with Universal Music Group. Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, and um, Billboard quoted a source that um, said, you know, among those that have adopted some of radio promotions on savory practices, such as paying for placement on playlists, if not buying them outright. Wow. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, you could have a, a top hits or, you know, cool buzz or whatever playlist, and it could literally just be owned by a record company. They could own that the they whole could list. Own that whole list. They can also um, pay curators. So, like when we were talking about Spotify, I mentioned yeah. that I listened to a bunch of YouTubers' playlists. Right. It'd be nothing for a label or um, this promotion company to contact them and like offer, reach out and throw them some cash. Right to throw a song on a playlist, and where it all comes back around and kind of seals up in a nice little package is that now radio stations use streaming numbers to pick what music they add to their playlists well fuck it's like yeah 360 it's like a it's like a human centipede gross (laughs) no no you would (laughs) i'm not gonna be able to get over that for a minute it's okay just let it sink in (laughs) (laughs) yeah I i don't see it going away anytime soon especially since you know, it's it's morphed from a straightforward, here's cash, put this on for, you know, the next six weeks into curated playlists and streaming services. And now it's going back, you know, full right. circle to radio. I mean, two years ago, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, when they were promoting an album, they admitted to using a, a service called Alternative Distribution Alliance, ADA, and that helps independents get their stuff on radio. Yeah, so basically that's the the reason for Thrift Shop. Yep. 
this company. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure there are obviously other reasons, right. like the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, um, you know, one of the things that I've always applauded with streaming and downloading and, and digital content in general is that it's so easy for the artist to manage every step of the process themselves, from right. writing to production to promotion to... Um, distribution. Right. They don't just sign a contract and hand their fate over to a major label who's right. marketing team. Pretty much copy and paste. Yeah. But now that we have this stuff coming out, you know, it's it's clear that the majors are going to continue to apply these old shitty like good old boys type business practices to whatever comes across the music industry and it's fucked up like i don't want i don't want it to continue but i don't know how to avoid supporting it like there are artists that i genuinely like who are on major labels so there are artists on major labels that i i genuinely enjoy listening to and there are streaming services that provide the content that I want in a convenient package that's affordable that I really like to use. Yeah, but it's still a lot different than it was back then because think about it. The only way to find new music was on the radio, right? Yeah. Or to go to a show, but you had to physically go out and do that. They didn't have the internet. Um, You could maybe find it at a record store. Right. But it was only the things that were being force-fed to you. You had almost no other outlet to go out and even find new music. You know, I know it's still, like, kind of coming through the cracks through these streaming services and online. But at the same time, you have so much more information at your fingertips. Music. Yeah, my, um, my concern is that as... I feel like right now, within the last couple of years, streaming is still new enough that those young independent artists, the ones who were savvy to it before it was a thing, mm-hmm. um, got the jump on it. Right. And my concern is that within the next two, three, four years, as streaming becomes ubiquitous, people stop purchasing physical music completely. People yeah, stop listening to the radio completely. Yeah. The major labels are going to put more money and more focus on this practice, and it's going to turn streaming into exactly what radio is today. I don't, uh, the man scares me. He's quite the man. He's quite the man. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a little more optimistic. I feel like I have more control. Plus, we, I don't know. I, I don't think I'll find my music, my, my new music just on, you know, television shows and what's on these streaming services. Like, there's music blogs. Right. There's other things that you can... Um, other resources that you have to reach out and find them. And I think that once, I think that once these record labels start using payola more widely, or we start seeing those business models look more like the major, you know, major labels, because there used to be. Right. How many labels? Oh, there's four. Yeah, that's true. People are going to rebel. Yeah. And people are going to advertise that, hey, nobody pays me. This is the music that I find and I like. And that's, and that's yeah. why, like... That's know, a really good point. Music and artists, they're... I, I, don't, I don't see artists stepping down and just being like, oh, fuck it. Well, <laughs> we just went back 50 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would like to see a, a streaming service come out against it as well. 
I mean, I doubt they're going to because it's it's good. There's good money to be made. It's great there. money. Did you see the the article that came out about how much Spotify executives are getting paid? Yeah. It's well, and I mean billions. Like it's ridiculous how much money that company makes. Right. Well, and to we think that about, the artists get like a fraction of a cent. Yeah. Well, and when we talk about you know the amount of money to be made by these record companies, I mean, back in in two thousand five. Or 2007, mm-hmm. where we're seeing the recession, people are spending less money on entertainment. Mm-hmm. Where the illegal music downloading is at its peak, people are spending nothing on physical record sales. Right. These companies, it's nothing for them to drop 12 million in fees just to avoid having anything brought up. And that's you know that's radio that nobody listens to. That's you know, falling by the wayside. Right. I think radio is really only around because they are owned by other companies that keep them going. Right? I mean, there aren't that many... I don't listen to radio enough to to be able to to say for sure, but 10 years ago when I was listening to radio and when I was paying attention to it, the area that I was in had two companies. Yeah. You know, there were multiple radio stations, but there were two multimedia companies that own and manage those stations. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also, and, and we can get into this on another episode, um, in the early 2000s or late 90s, there was legislation that um, removed the limits on... How many they could obtain? Right, yeah, like market share. Yeah. So it, it used to be, you know, if I could only own one or two radio stations within a given market. A certain area, right? yeah. Whereas now those restrictions have been removed. Um, so we see areas that are like a, a small market, like Fort Wayne, for instance, where, you know, I think that they have maybe a company controlling all of the radio stations or two mm-hmm. tops. Yeah. And you'll find a, in smaller markets, I mean, it happens in larger ones too, they're syndicated shows. Yeah. So they don't even, they're not even paying for talent. Nope. No, they're not paying for on. talent. They're just... And there's, there's also, um, and this is something we can get into later too, there's been really fucking weird advancements as far as um like basically computer algorithms and programs that put together pre-recorded statements and sentences from Mm -hmm. quote-unquote radio personalities and throw them in between songs as a playlist cruises along um so you know you could be sitting in your basement record an hour of a few just cut-ins send it off to whatever radio station. Yep. And I get paid for that. Right. Yep. I'm just very fearful that as streaming becomes more popular, as streaming becomes more expensive, people yeah. are going to be limiting their music so- sources to one particular streaming service. Right. I mean, I already do. Right. And and I think that while you and I are and we enjoy to go out and and go on those wild goose chases or go down the rabbit hole of internet clusterfuck to find new music not many people are right yeah it's it's so much easier to open up that app hit that little button that gives you a new playlist Mm -hmm. and listen to the first thing that pops up right and even if you aren't super excited about it if it's semi-okay or i mean if you if you think about it, it and i opened up my playlist today and just hit new and went through the new pop songs yeah right pretty much all sound the same yeah i mean there was nothing in there that got me excited there 
They were okay. They weren't bad. Right. Um, but but you listened to it. I did. And you gave it that one listen. Right. And if every subscriber with that particular service has that same thought new process, tab, yeah, that same thought process. I mean, we're talking about huge revenue streams for those plays. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want more information on Paola or how sort of this all unfolded in the 50s and 60s, one of my favorite books is called Hitman. It goes over how all of the big players in the record industry, most of them lawyers, other CEOs of like CBS Records. So we're talking like Clive Davis, Morris Levy, uh, Walter Yetnikoff. Um, kind of cool. Pretty much a bunch of just like old Jewish lawyer dudes. And how they're promoting the record business. But I mean, just like we're, we're saying, things are going to be changing. Yeah. And, and these old, the old guard's going to do everything they can to keep it the same. Right. And, and that's why, you know, I encourage you, we encourage you to find a music blog that you like. You know, bookmark that shit. Take a look at it once a week or when you're feeling an itch for new music. Find a YouTuber that you like who comes up with playlists and that you trust isn't getting paid off to put that content out there. Um, so don't just go through that tab with you know playlists that are curated or algorithmed or whatever for you and use that as your only source because there's so many other ways to find great music. Right, like your friends. Yes, yeah, yeah. Get, a, get a friend. Get a friend, find one of those <laughs> if you can. They're hard to come by. All right guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you want more, who wouldn't, right? Check us out on all of the social medias. That's right. You can find us on Twitter at Eruption, on Facebook at facebook.com slash eruption, or on our homepage, eruptionmusic.com. 